Um, okay. Hey, welcome. Uh, if you happen to be new, I met a couple of you who are new the first time here. We just want to say thanks for taking a chance on us. And you could not have picked a better night to be here because we don't have after parties all the time. But tonight we have an after party. So you're going to have a shorter service. We're going to hang out with some food trucks and inflatable games and conversation and music. And we'll have a great time together. So uh, tonight is a great night to be here. So if you are new, we would love to connect with you. Do that in a couple different ways. Uh, we have a connection card that you can fill out if you're online. It should be kind of the top right button. Uh, if you're watching from there, if you're here, you can actually text the word hello to our text number, which is 520-340-6868. If you just text the word hello to 520-340-6868, you'll get a couple quick text and we'll be connected for the next few weeks. Just kind of walk with you, answer questions along the way. But uh, thrilled to have you here. Our church, one of the things I love is that we get to do community together and we get to experience that tonight a little bit more. So uh, how many of you would say, okay, if you're willing, take a risk here. Uh, actually, we'll pick on the the, the older folks here who have been here a while. If you've been here over three months, raise your hand. Perfect. If you did not raise your hand, guess what? You get to go first tonight in the food trucks, okay? So if you've been here three months or less, you get to go first, because here's the deal. We've got the first $200 paid for um, for our guest uh, at each food truck, okay? So if you've been here three months or less, dinner's on us, because we love you. And so if you've been here longer than three months, uh, shell out the money. You'll be fine. Uh, so like, we'll be good together. We care about our guests. And so we want you to feel welcomed and accepted here. And, and uh, you matter to us. And so one of the things that we have uh, in our church, we had this uh, weekend where our elders and our board and our staff got to spend some time just kind of vision and kind of dreaming into the future for elements. We'll kind of unroll some of those stuff in, in the few weeks and months ahead. But we're just, I want to tell you how excited I am for the leadership of the church and just the unity that we have and the excitement that we have for what God's doing here, what he's going to continue to do in and through our church in Midtown and in and through us to make a difference for people. So whether you're joining us online or you're here in the room, um, man, I just, I love the fact that we get to do life together and I love where God's taking us in that. So if you are new, sit back, be our guest. We're thrilled that you're spending time with us, took a chance on us, and uh, you get to go first at dinner tonight. So that's kind of nice. So uh, tonight we're going to pray for the church of the week. We do this every week. There's hundreds of churches across Tucson that are a part of this. And we know there's a million plus people that are not connected into any faith community. And we care about those people too. And so we want to raise up every church, not just ours. And so if you're here in the room, why don't you stand up? If you're at home, you can stand up if you want. I can't see you. Um, but Centro Familiar Fuente de Vida is the church of the week that we want to pray uh, for them. And so God, we're praying uh, for this church tonight, for the leadership, for the pastor and their team and the leadership team that's there. God, you've given them a niche in South Tucson to, to be a light for you. And we're asking that you would move in their midst, that you would bless their leadership. You would continue to supply their needs, to reach people that you're trying to reach in that kind of the neck of the woods where they occupy. And so we're asking that you'd bless them. Father, would you continue to raise up your church across our city to reach the, the million plus people that you're searching for, that you want to connect into and with and God, tonight uh, we come from all the busyness of our lives and we kind of unplug, we hit pause. And this next hour, God, we're asking for your Holy Spirit to move in our hearts and our lives as we lean into you and in worship, as we look into your word, as Lyle leads us in that. God, would you help us to be those people who continue to follow after you and with each of us having our next step in that. And so Jesus, we're asking for your spirit to move tonight, to meet us afresh, recurrent, encourage our hearts, refresh our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.
everything we got. God is meant to care, one with us forevermore. Worship you tonight, Jesus. So why should my heart grow weary? Don't be so downcast, oh my soul. You are in every moment. You are my greatest miracle. Why should my heart grow weary? Don't be so downcast, oh my soul. You are in every moment. While my greatest miracle I see my heart grow
Amen. Amen, right? I'm just going to jump into a prayer there, but gosh, God is so good. God, you're so good. Church, I just want to just repeat that chorus. Just You can sing it to yourself in your own head. Make me a vessel. Make me an offering. I'm going to pray for us. Would you guys just keep singing that? You can sing that in your, in your own minds. Make it a prayer. God can handle it. Father, we want to be offerings. We want to be vessels. We don't want to be vessels that, that just stay in the harbor. Take us where you want us to go. Show us those paths, whether through storms, whether through sunny days. I pray that you'd be with us tonight. I can already sense your presence here, Father. You are moving in your people. We look forward to what you'll do. Make us a little bit more like your son, Jesus. That we might bring your love, your grace, and mercy to a world that sure, sure does need it these days. We wanna be a real reflection a real reflection of who you are and your heart for your people. I pray that you would be with Pastor Lyle tonight. Use his words. That those words might be yours alone. We love you. You're so worthy of our praise. So worthy. Lead us. Looking forward to what you're going to say. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. I want to just say uh, how grateful I am to have Gabe here as a part of our church, um, to have Micah, uh, Rich, Margot, Trish. Uh, we've got so many talented singers, and if I didn't mention you, I'm sorry. I don't. <laughs> Don't take offense to that if you're one of the singers. Um, but just to see how they all grow in their heart, not just to, to sing these songs, but to really lead us into a moment of worship where we get to encounter the presence of God. I think that's a special thing. I think it's easy to take that for granted, uh, what we get to experience here in this place uh, each and every Sunday night. 
It's a blessing to get to do this. It's a blessing to get to do this with you. Uh, and so I just want to say thanks to them. Let's give them uh, just some thanks. Because I can tell you their heart and all that is not for the moments like that. It's not for the applause. Uh, their heart for that. Really, well, well and truly, it's just that we together would get to experience God's presence. So uh, tonight, I've got a sermon I like to call, Whose Will Be Done? Whose Will Be Done? That's the question that we want to answer. Uh, we're in the middle of a follow series. We're calling it Follow. It's all about next steps with Jesus and what it is that we need to do so that we can continue to follow after Jesus. Um, and so we've said this, that if we uh, are going to go anywhere as a church, it's going to be because we're committed to discipling. We're going to be not just discipled by other people, but the responsibility then falls on us to become disciple makers. That's why we push our e-groups. That's why we push discipleship groups, because we want you to be connected in community so that you can walk with Jesus and know what that looks like in practical ways. But, but more than that, we want you to have a place where you can ask questions, that when you're in the small group moment, sometimes there's questions about how do we follow Jesus? What does that look like? And there's not a lot of freedom on a Sunday night, is there, for you to just raise your hand in the middle of the sermon and me be like, yeah, what was your question? It's not happened ever in this room, I don't think. Maybe it has. Uh, and if it did tonight, that'd be really funny. I'd love to see that happen. So whoever has comedic timing, I just set you up. You're welcome. Uh, but ultimately, we define what it is to be a disciple as this. A disciple is someone who knows and follows Jesus. That's what this sermon series is about. How do I follow Jesus? But not just that, they're becoming like Jesus. Because the reality is, as you're on the heels of Jesus and following after him, you can't help but be changed from the inside out. Even if you don't believe that Jesus is Lord, if you don't believe he's God, if you don't believe the words of scripture in the Bible are inspired words, if you just do the things that Jesus said, your life will be better. You will be a better husband, you'll be a better wife, you'll be a better uh, boyfriend or girlfriend, you'll be a better student, you'll be a better employee, you'll be a better friend. I promise you that. But we wanna become like Jesus as we follow Jesus, not just for those reasons, but lastly, a disciple is committed to the mission of Jesus. What was Jesus all about? He was all about doing the Father's will. That's what we're gonna kinda see tonight. And so I wanna start here, I wanna ask this question. How many of you remember the moment where you first became a Christian? that moment when you first professed your faith in Christ. Just a show of hands, how many of you were raised in the church? Right, like that's me, I, I'm right there with you, where my mom uh, and dad were going to church, so I started attending church while I was in the womb. So this has just been, my life has been to follow after Jesus. And so for those of you who raise your hand, if you're like me, there was probably a moment where you were a, a wee little lad, as they would say in Scotland, right? You're a little tyke, and you decided to put your faith and your hope in Jesus. Why? If it's anything like me, it was probably because you heard all these stories in church of Jesus is for you, Jesus loves you, and if you believe in Jesus, you get to go to heaven. And we're like, oh man, heaven's gonna be great. I want heaven. And at that age, we probably couldn't understand the concept that if there's a heaven, that there's probably the opposite of heaven, so there's a hell, but we would know that if there's an opposite of heaven, it's probably not very good. And I tell you what, if you came to Christ before like 19, probably 1990, uh, it might have also been that you put your faith in Jesus, why? Because you didn't wanna go to hell. Because there are all these pastors who would, they get to the point where they're like red in the face as they're screaming at you about your sin. And we just like blow this. Some of you guys are like, what is going on here? It's a point. Just go with me. So, so you get to this point where it's like, man, I, I'm afraid. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to experience that. I don't want to be this sinner in the hand of an angry God. And so like out of fear and trembling, we put our faith in Jesus because, man, the alternative, just that did not sound very appealing, did it? But there's probably a common denominator for all of us, whether we want to admit this or not, that when you came to Christ, it was for what you could get out of it. And that's okay. That's not to make you feel bad. That was me. I wanted to go to heaven. I see this idea of heaven as great. I want that. Sign me up. And the reality is for all of us who come to faith in Christ, more often than not, it starts out where we're coming to Jesus as consumers. We're coming to Jesus for what we can get from him and what we can get out of him as opposed to coming to him because we see him in the fullness of his glory and we're just gonna call him Lord and we're gonna do what he says. 
And that was the case for the disciples, all right? And so that's, hear me out. If you came to Christ that way, that's okay. We've got kind of a, a little recap in the, the YouVersion app of, of what we've covered in, in this series so far. And the reality is, uh, if you came to Christ as a consumer, that's okay. So did the disciples, right? They came with all of their sin. In fact, it's a prerequisite to be a sinner, to follow after Jesus. So there's good news for you. There's good news that that's okay to start there. But the reality is we don't want to end up there. And so we want to take a look uh, tonight at, uh, at a person who kind of came across uh, this idea of why did we come to follow Jesus? Like they had to answer the question, am I in this for myself and my own game or gain or am I in this for what, what I can do for the kingdom? So uh, last week we were in Mark chapter eight. Uh, and we saw this moment where Peter uh, is talking to Jesus and he actually pulls Jesus aside when Jesus kind of foretells that he's gonna die. And right, Peter kind of puts his arm around. It's like, Jesus, you need to buck up, chief. All right, you're getting a little negative on us. This isn't this death thing. It's not happening for you. And Jesus rebukes him. Jesus tells him, get behind me, Satan. Like, that, those are pretty harsh words. You've been following Jesus for three years, and you just got called Satan. You're probably offended. You're probably a little stunned. So Peter's feeling stunned. And what we saw was Peter still had the consumer heart. Three years into following after Jesus and seeing everything Jesus did, He still had the heart of a consumer. He's still looking out for what was in it for him more than he was looking out for the things that God had in store for the disciples. And so tonight, the passage that we're at, uh, we're gonna be looking at, in the book of Matthew, if you wanna get to Matthew chapter 26, uh, we're gonna start in verse six. And as you're getting there, I just wanna kinda set up some context for you. I wanna let you know kind of what is going on at that point in time. And so when Jesus stepped uh, into existence, when he came to earth, uh, in that moment, Israel was under Roman authority. Rome had conquered so much of the world at that point in time. In fact, there's the saying, all all roads lead to Rome because Rome's building these roads so that their armies can march and that they can keep all of their empire in check if the people ever raise up. And so if you're Jewish and you're living in Israel around that time, you don't want the Romans there. You don't like having the Romans there. You're waiting uh, for liberation. And so when the the Jews were waiting for their Messiah, they believed that they were going to receive a political savior who would come and would set them free from the tyranny of Rome. That was their expectation. That's what they were thinking, that there would be this great king who would ride in, better than King David, and that Israel would then be reestablished as God's chosen nation, and they would live under his blessing and his favor forever once again. And then Jesus gets arrested, and all these disciples, these men who are the closest followers of Jesus, they all quickly decide to unfollow Jesus all at the same time. And yet by the end of the New Testament, all the disciples have come back and Jesus has not only forgiven them, but this same group of cowards who all abandoned Jesus in the moment he gets arrested, when he goes to the cross, the same group of cowards not only come back uh, to follow Jesus, they come back, they go into Jerusalem, they go into Judea, they go all over the world bringing this message of not just a crucified Jesus. That, people saw people crucified all the time. It was a resurrected Jesus that these men were willing to die for as they tell this story. They died uh, because of this resurrected Jesus and they experienced firsthand the type of power uh, that gave them the ability to exchange their own personal agenda in order to embrace God's agenda for the world. And so what we learn uh, from the disciples here is the answer to the question, how do we know if we've gone from being a consumer to being a follower? What's that threshold? Is there a way that we can measure that? And I I think that there is, if we look uh, at the life of Judas Iscariot. Because there's not every disciple came back to Jesus, right? There was one who didn't. And in fact, uh, one of the most infamous uh, characters in all of history was Judas Iscariot. And Uh, Judas was no different from the other disciples. He walked with Jesus. He saw all the incredible miracles that Jesus performed. He heard all of his powerful teachings. Uh, But like many other Jews, Judas saw Jesus and thought, hey, maybe this guy's the guy. He's seeing uh, all of the miracles that Jesus is performing. And he knows that this man teaches with authority. 
the words that he speaks, they're unlike any words he's ever heard before. He does these incredible things, changing water into wine, raising the sick, uh, raising the dead back to life, really. And so he's thinking maybe this Jesus is finally the one who will conquer Rome and will free us from hundreds of years of these foreign rulers. But you see, eventually there's things about Jesus uh, that would bother Judas. Jesus moved slowly. Jesus didn't hate the Romans. In fact, it was quite the opposite. Judas actually watched Jesus perform a miracle for Romans. A Roman centurion approaches Jesus at one point to to ask for healing for his daughter. And in the moment that all the disciples are like, who's this Roman dog? Get him out of here. Jesus not only is kind to him, he actually does what the man asks and performs the miracle he's asking for. And so it's bad enough that Jesus would let Matthew, that tax collector traitor, follow after him. But now he's actually healing people for the Romans. What's going on here, he's thinking. And furthermore, if Jesus is going to overthrow the Roman occupiers, they would need the high priest and the temple on their side. How else would the people know that the Messiah is in their presence and with them unless the religious leaders made it known to the people? Instead of getting the Jewish leaders on uh, his side, what was Jesus doing? Wasn't Jesus just constantly humiliating them? They'd ask him questions and he'd answer it and astound them, but then he would double down and ask them a question that would just reveal how broken and sinful their heart was. And he would constantly embarrass them in front of the people. And Jesus seemed passive, you know? So for Judas, Jesus wasn't getting organized and finding the people that he would need to create a new government to replace the Romans. And so when we look at Matthew and John's writings tonight, what we're gonna see is an incident that kind of pushes Judas Iscariot over the edge. We're gonna see the moment where Judas is like, I don't know that I can do this anymore. And this incident that happens in Bethany is the tipping point for Judas to abandon Jesus. And the reality is this. As uncomfortable as it is to say, there's a bit of Judas in all of us. Because all of us struggle to some extent with the idea that we have a plan, and yet God has a plan. And if we're honest, a lot of us are asking the question, how can we get God to honor our plan, to bless our plan, and help us work toward accomplishing the things that we want to accomplish? And the reality is, some of you here tonight, maybe you're here because things aren't going too well in your life, and you're trying to figure out if there's a magic combination by coming back to church and by sitting here. Uh, Will you unlock some sort of favor from God in your life? Can you get God to bless your agenda? You might be thinking, oh, I'll go, and maybe I'll learn the right prayer to pray or the right thing that I can do to get God back on my side. And that really shows that consumer heart, not the heart of a follower. But again, it's okay. We all start there. We all start there. But at some point in following Jesus, for each and every one of us, there's a point where Jesus' agenda for your life and then your agenda for your life are going to come into conflict with each other. And what you do in that moment will reveal a lot about yourself. It's a defining moment. And so if you're uh, in the book of Matthew, uh, we're gonna start reading in verse six here. Matthew 26, verse six. Uh, And these are the words of Matthew. Keep in mind, Matthew was there in Bethany. He was there in that moment. He saw this happen. He says this. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, A woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. We'll pause right there. First of all, verse 7, how unfortunate of a nickname is it to be called Simon the leper? (laughs) Right? Like, that's how we know him in history. That's a bummer. Like, if you're Simon, it's not just Simon. Nope, you're Simon the leper. That's too bad. So he's at the home of Simon the leper, uh, and it talks about this woman who comes up to him. Uh, What we know about this situation is that this is probably, uh, they're probably in the homes, this, this Simon the leper, he's probably the father of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so if you know about uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, you know that they follow Jesus quite a bit, that Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus. Uh, and so this is probably Mary, what we know from context, that's coming up to Jesus to pour this ointment out over his head. 
Uh, and when she does this, the way that the disciples respond, it really creates an awkward moment. It's really kind of an awkward moment. I want you to imagine, say you were to invite Pastor Jack to your house for dinner. And if Jack sits down for dinner with you and you've got your fine china out, you've got everything, like you wanna make it nice because you've got the pastor coming over. And if Jack sits down at the dinner table and he looks at the plates and he pulls up the, the silver fork and is like, really? We're gonna eat with this stuff? Do you know how much money you could have given to the church if you would have just bought plastic disposable stuff? Wow. How's the rest of the night gonna go? Pretty awkward, right? Like this is, this is what the disciples are doing. And that's why we think that this is probably some people that they know. That's what gives us the context that you probably wouldn't say something like that unless it was someone you know. I remember when I was in college, had two friends. One was from Scottsdale, uh, and so he was raised in a pretty nice environment, let's be honest. But this guy was so good with his money. Like, he barely ever spent a cent. He was always so good at just, like, making sure that he was getting things on sale. And just, I was impressed by that, you know? Saved up his money like crazy. He ends up buying, um, it was like only two or three years old, this Corvette, like bright red Corvette, gorgeous car. And he paid, like, four grand for it, maybe. It was cheap. Like, you shouldn't have been able to get it, especially because it had less than 10,000 miles or something, because it was just like some older person in Scottsdale bought it just because they wanted to, and then they never drove it, and, and so we got to buy it. And I, I remember one of our friends, <laughs> it's so sad, uh, we're all sitting in the living room, and this one friend comes over, and he's just like, you know, buddy, um, I'm just a little bit worried that you're uh, not being responsible with your money buying a car like that. Like he knows nothing about the situation and it was just, it, that was the moment, crickets. We're all just sitting here just astounded, jaws on the floor like, did you really say that? Wow, I'm not gonna tell you how that story ends. Anywho, moving along. Disciples are just like, what's going on? Why is this happening? But if we look uh, at someone else who was there, let's look at uh, John chapter 12 because John was there too. And he says this. He gives us some details that Matthew leaves out. Starting in verse 4, he says, But Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? But he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So the disciples weren't necessarily all the ones who were questioning what was happening in that moment. In fact, it's probably Judas, he leans over to Thaddeus or Bartholomew, one of those guys, and is just like, hey, that, that ointment that she's pouring, how much is that worth? About, about a year's worth of wages, right? Man, can you believe that they would just waste a year's worth of wages and just pour that out on Jesus? And so Judas is purposefully stirring the pot. Why? Because he's a hypocrite. He doesn't care about the poor. He wants the money for himself. And even though he was constantly with the disciples and following Jesus around most of the times, he's still using Jesus for his own ends. He has his own agenda that Jesus has conveniently been helping him with. He was a thief. And as the disciples were going from town to town, all of these folks were giving money to Jesus to pay for them to travel and to do the ministry that they were doing. And Judas was in charge of that money and he used to help himself to that. And so Jesus was a means to an end for Judas. And Jesus knew the hearts of men though. It was a dangerous thing if you were sitting with Jesus to even think a thought in front of him. Because there's so many times in the New Testament when Jesus just calls them out for their thoughts. People are like just thinking something. He's like, hey, I know you're thinking about this, but I say to you, right? Could you imagine how freaky that would be? Like that would be pretty creepy. If you just think about like some of the worst situations in your life, if Jesus was just there, like, hey, I know you're thinking that. Awkward. Anywho, Matthew 26, back in uh, 26, verse 10 says this. Jesus aware of this, right? He sees what's going on. He hears what's going on. He knows what's in Judas's mind. He says to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. You will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And what's really cool about that moment, as Jesus is praising Mary for her sacrifice and what she's doing, 
what he calls out right then, we today are a part of the fulfillment of that prophecy that Jesus made. That 2,000 years ago, this event takes place, and Jesus knew that even in this day and age, we would still remember the story, and we'd still talk about that. How cool is that? That we get to be a part of the fulfillment of Scripture. But notice how this plays out. Verse 14, the, the, the first word there, was it say? Then. Then. So Matthew's letting us know right away something's happening here. It says, then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests. And he said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, Judas sought an opportunity to betray him. Judas is fed up. He's frustrated. He sees Jesus continuing to take this slow path to getting Israel back in charge of things and getting Israel back to where it should be. And so he wants to know how much he can get for handing Jesus over. But here's the problem. Why does this work for Judas to be able to go to them? It's because Jesus has the crowds. And so by going to the chief priests, he understands that the chief priests have had trouble arresting Jesus and getting to Jesus because they can't just be like, hey, excuse me, pardon me, and work their way through the crowds, arrest Jesus, and then, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, hey, look out, right? They can't go through the crowds to get to him and then take him out. They're going to start a riot. They know they're going to start a riot. And so Judas, knowing what they want, goes and says, I can get you what you want. And we can look at that and say, Judas, were you not paying attention? Like, do you remember that, that time that you guys were on the boat and you were so freaked out, you thought you were gonna drown. And so you woke Jesus up and he just talked to the weather. Or what about that time that you stood with Jesus outside of Lazarus' tomb? And like, it was so far after Lazarus died that even the family was just like, no thanks, we're good, you don't have to do that. And Jesus spoke, and the man Lazarus got up and came out alive. Remember when Jesus just kind of spat in the dirt and just kind of made some mud, and then he picked that up and put that on someone's eyes, and they were blind, and then once that mud touched their eyes, they could see again? You see, even in the way that Judas walked with Jesus, and saw the things Jesus did, he was still in it for himself. And yet if you look at the way that we pray and the way that we treat God, man, I have to admit, I'm kind of like Judas. I want him with me when I need help. And yet, for some of you, when you go on that business trip or when you go on spring break, you're just fine to kind of leave Jesus at home, aren't you? You see, Judas learned an important lesson uh, in that moment and in the things that would follow after this, he learned a lesson that we'd all do well to learn the easy way, and that's this. It's that God's hand cannot be forced, and God's will cannot be thwarted. God's hand cannot be forced, and God's will cannot be thwarted. People ask, why would Judas do this? What made him do what he did? And because the gospel writers never really tell us exactly why, we don't get to know that. But scholars have spent a lot of time trying to figure that out and thinking through that. And really kind of the best guess that we can make is this. It's that Judas was trying to force Jesus into showing who he really was. I think that Judas had his agenda, yes. He wanted to make money off of this Jesus. But at the end of the day, he wouldn't have followed after Jesus, believing in the things that he did, if, if he didn't think that Jesus was somebody worth following. And so maybe Judas thought that by doing this, that Jesus would finally step up. He would finally have that conversation with the religious leaders that he needed to have. Uh, and, and they'd talk it out. And maybe, you know, they would arrest him. They'd do, uh, you know, a couple lashes or whatever. And then they would release him. Uh, but, but hopefully, you know, they, they'd have whatever they needed to work it out so that, that they could finally be like, yeah, this guy really is the Messiah as well. And so maybe Judas just really thought that, that Jesus wasn't going to let anything bad happen to himself in that moment. And so Judas was just trying to speed up the process of getting Jesus into power. And hey, he'd get a little bit richer in the process. And so Judas delivers Jesus over to the religious leaders in the middle of the night in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we know the story. 
Jesus is out praying. The disciples are trying to pray. They come, they arrest him, they take him. Uh, but something happens that throws all of Judas's plan off. And so we, let's jump to Matthew 27. And uh, it says this in verse 1. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. So at this point, Judas is just like, whoa, hey, that wasn't the plan. Because uh, if I turn him over to just the chief priests, they can't kill Jesus. They can't put him to death. They're limited in the authority that they actually have because the Romans are still in charge. But now that he's turned him over to the Roman authorities, the, the chief priests have, death is on the table. Execution's on the table. And Judas knows this. So Judas is freaking out. Verse 3 says, Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And he said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. So Judas is getting to the point where he wants to back up and undo the things that he's done. But life doesn't always work that way, does it? There are certain decisions that you make. There are certain actions that you can take that once you've made that decision or you've taken that action, it can't be undone. You're on a trajectory where what's gonna happen is gonna happen. That's where Judas is at. And in, in those moments, you can receive forgiveness, but you have to accept the consequences of what you've done. So Matthew 27, five says, and throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, Judas departed and he went and he hanged himself. He made a decision that he couldn't undo. And some of you know this. Sometimes there's decisions that are just too difficult to live with. Verse 6, the chief priest taking the pieces of silver said it's not lawful to put them into the treasury since it's blood money. Now, notice the irony of that statement. They're the ones who paid the money. Judas has now come back and said, this is an innocent man that you're trying to put to death. So who has the blood on their hands, really? And the chief priests, knowing what they've done, won't even accept their own money back that they paid to kill Jesus. So they took counsel, brought within the potter's field, or bought with the 30 pieces of silver. The potter's field is a burial place for strangers. And therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. This is the ultimate example of religious hypocrisy. The religious leaders didn't care about following the law in that moment at all. And yet what's cool about that moment and the reason that we, we bring that up is Matthew is literally just pointing back to people who would have read that in their time. And they would have known where that field is. And yet all those details that he shared, uh, we don't have time to go into it now, but if you read Jeremiah 19 and if you read Zechariah chapter 11 verse 12, you'll see that what Judas did in just that moment of, of regret, of being caught and doing something dumb, his reaction as he steps out was the fulfillment of a prophecy that he couldn't have even known in that moment that he was fulfilling. It's almost as if God's will can't be thwarted. Hmm. So Jesus is turned over to the Romans. He's tried, he's found guilty, he's crucified. And yet in this crazy, strange story, Judas by staying focused on his story, becomes an accidental player in the story of your salvation and mine. And God's will was accomplished through Judas and his horrible decision. And God's plan unfolded as a result of the decision that Judas made to betray Jesus. It's almost as if God's hand cannot be forced and God's will cannot be thwarted. So what's the point? It's this, we all start as consumers, where we wanna see God bless our agenda and help us achieve our goals. But there's always a moment, and I like to call this moment a crisis of faith. There's always crises of faith that we're gonna come across in our life where our conscience is gonna light up and there's something that deep down in our heart, in our gut, we're gonna feel. And that's the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Maybe it's uh, that business decision that you're really not sure about what you should do and you know you kind of want to go one direction, but you feel in your gut, that's not the right thing to do. Or maybe it's that, that girl that she's, man, she's just so cute. Like if you saw her guys, right? Like she's just so cute. Like, you know, you're just thinking about it, even though you know that's probably not going to end well. 
There's always these moments where our hands will be wrapped around an idea and God will make it clear that it's in direct opposition to what he wants for our lives. And we're left to answer the question, is it my will or is it thy will? And you'll notice that the conflict of whose will be done will come up frequently. In those moments, again, you're going to learn a lot about yourself. And that's where uh, a little bit of Judas' story becomes a little bit of our story. You'll see that there's these competing agendas, and it's going to feel personally like there's this moral imperative that there's something that you have to do, and your conscience will light up in that conflict. And for some of you, it's going to feel like a death. Because the agenda that you're giving up, you think is so central to who you are. But you don't have to worry about these moments. You don't have to fear it. Because those defining moments where you choose to follow Jesus and to let go, you discover whose you really are. You discover who you belong to. And in that moment, you're going to feel like you're in a free fall because you've made that decision. That's when you get to see God's faithfulness to always be there to catch you. It's saying this. It's saying, God, I want what you want more than I want what I want. That's the place that we all want to get to, to say, I want what you want more than I want what I want. And yet, here's the reality. We're all sinners, right? And so here's your little bit of wiggle room, okay? Some of you are just like, that's really tough. I get it. Here's your wiggle room. If you're not quite ready to say, God, I want what you want more than I want what I want, here's the prayer that you can pray. You can say, God, I want to want what you want more than I want what I want. And if you can get to that place in that moment of the crisis of faith, that moment of conflict between God's agenda and yours, just stop and pray that prayer to him. Be honest with him. Because isn't it interesting that God never stopped Judas from doing what Judas always intended to do. But notice this, neither did Judas ever stop God from doing what God intended to do. If we're honest, God most likely won't stop you from what you intend on doing. But that moment, what happened with Judas should scare us into coming to God with our hands open. Because in this story, we see that Judas made decisions that he wished that he could unmake. There's some things that can be forgiven, right? But they can't be undone. And if Judas could speak to us today, uh, maybe he'd say something along the lines of this. He might say to us, blessed is the one who chooses to do the will of God rather than attempting to impose his will on God. Because at the end of the day, as smart as you are, as connected as you are, as resourced as all of us are, we can't force the hand of God. And we cannot thwart the will of God. And that's a good thing. Because that means that God is God, and that I'm not, and that you are not. It means that when we sing and pray and worship, we worship the almighty, sovereign God who reserves the right to say to us, no, I'm not changing my mind because I love you. And because I love you, I've invited you into something larger than your little itty-bitty soon-forgotten story. And when you look back on the day where you chose to trust me instead of walk away from me, you'll look back with a sigh of relief. And you'll say, beyond the circumstances of that moment, that that was the season of my life when God became so real to me. And to think, I almost missed it. I almost missed it because of something that was just so small and insignificant that when I look back on it now, I'm not even sure what the draw to that was. So follow him. Follow him. Because his hand can't be forced anyway. And his agenda can't be thwarted. Let's pray. Father, man, this is so difficult. If we're just honest, this is really difficult, and it, it can be intimidating uh, when we just start to look back on our lives and see all of those moments where maybe we did feel it in our gut that you wanted something from us that we, um, we just weren't ready to do in that moment. And so for the people who are sitting in this room uh, tonight and they're just thinking back on all of those moments that they might have missed out on, God, would you just let them sit in your forgiveness in this moment? 
Would you just let them sit in a place where they can hear you whisper to them, it's okay. I know you're not perfect. My disciples walked with me and they messed this up time and time again. You'll get there. And there's those of us who even right now, we might be in the midst of one of those moments, one of those crises of faith where we see that there's things that we want and it just doesn't line up with what we know that you want from us. And so God, would you get us to that place where we can pray that prayer, where we want to want what you want more than we want what we want. It's a process, God. And we're all at different places kind of along that journey. But what's great, Jesus, is that we know uh, that your love is, is so good and is so patient. That even when we come to you just honest with how we're feeling, just honest that we know that what we want is not what you want, we can just say that to you. And even in the, the act of admitting it, there's just that freedom that comes. When we're honest with you, and in that moment, you're able to just speak back to us. You're able to affirm us in the ways that we need to, to strengthen us and enable us to do your will. That's where we all want to be, God. That's where we all want to be. So Jesus, we love you. Would you help get us to that place? Get us to that place where we can follow.
to Let that be our prayer, to, to want to want what God wants more than what we want. That idea that we just sang about in that bridge, that we would open up our hearts to Him, that our desire would just be for more of Him, which means we're going to follow Him wherever He wants us to go. And so uh, just real quickly before we uh, get to uh, the after party, if you give, we just want to thank you, uh, all of you who support us and who tithe regularly. Um, if you're new here and you're kind of wondering how we do that, there's some boxes that are in the back, kind of some, uh, some chrome boxes or aluminum boxes that you can just drop that into if you've got a physical offering or most people just give through the app. So feel free to jump online to do that. Um, we've got the marriage retreat coming up. So if you're interested in that, just check the app. All that information's there. All the, the important announcements are there. But we're ready to go party. So if you did not raise your hand earlier, right? If you're one of those who's been here for less than three months, uh, we want to let you go out right now. The rest of you, you wait. Hold on, all right? And maybe you're one who's like, well, it's been like three months and two weeks. Listen, if financially you're in a spot that you need to get out there, go out there. It's fine, all right? It's fine. Um, but for the rest of you, we're going to give them a moment to get out uh, so that they can go uh, and get that. And some of you, as you get out after that, 
It's the first $200 that either food truck uh, has already been paid for for you. So make sure you stick around. We've got uh, the TV going with the women's basketball tournament going. We've got the inflatables, all that stuff. Um, but we just want to thank you for, for partnering with us. We want to thank you for coming tonight. It's always a blessing to get to do church together. So while they're kind of making their way out, I'm going to pray to dismiss us. So Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you love us and that you're patient with us. Jesus, as we go out, would you help us to go out as sent ones who, who hear the call that you're putting on our life and people who are willing to say, man, I'm tired of living for my own story. My agenda has just not gotten me where I wanted it to go. And so Jesus, I'm, I'm just ready to live for something better. I'm ready to trust you with that. So would you help us to come to you with open hands that whatever it is that you're calling and asking us to do, that you would give us the courage to do it because you're with us. And because you're with us, we have nothing to fear. God, we love you. We love you. Would you bless the food? Would you bless our time together now, the time of fellowship? Let it be glorifying to you. Let it be edifying to our hearts and encourage us as we go to live this week. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. We'll see you next, well, we'll see you outside.